Amazing. All right, set myself up here. It's been a little while since I've um, had the pleasure of bringing the word today, so I'm excited. I'm excited to share what God's put on my heart. Um, As Claire mentioned, yes, we are in a new series um, called Glory, and it's all about worship, right? And I'm really excited because in particular, we haven't really spoken about this all that much, or maybe for a long time. And with lots of new faces in our church family now, I think it's so important that we actually talk about this. And and for this next month, that's what we're going to be doing. And we're doing things a little bit special. We're going to mix things up a bit and have an extended time of worship after the word today and for the rest of the month. And so it's, I think it's a month that's going to just be amazing. And I'm so looking forward to it. I love worship. It's probably one of my favorite spiritual practices or disciplines, whatever you want to call it. But it's one of my favorite times of spending, um, of how to spend time with the Lord. And it's interesting because I am absolutely tone deaf. Um, I'm not musically gifted whatsoever. That is all with the hubby. Um, And yet, God's given me this absolute joy in his presence. And so I think actually today, the two songs beforehand instead of a full like song set has really helped me because I give everything in worship, right? I, there's no like, I can't whisper, there's no in between, I just belt, that's just what I do. And so it's kind of helped preserve my voice. So thank you so much team, I appreciate it. Um, So if you're in the same, you know, category as me, you can't sing, you can't play an instrument, you can't do anything musically, then this series is for you, right? Because the thing is, is that it's actually not about so much the songs that we sing. It's not so much about being able to play an instrument. It's all about who we direct our worship to. Amen? It's all about the fact that we lift God's name high, and that's something that every one of us can do, whether we're tone deaf or not. And so I'm excited for this series. I'm excited for what's going to do throughout our time. Um, And yeah, I just love worship. I love the fact that we get these opportunities to just thank God and to pour our hearts out to him in song in particular. And, And throughout the Bible, there are so many songs that especially David wrote to just sing praises to God. I absolutely love it. I know where I was when I was saved. I know where I could have been going, but God set my life on a new trajectory. He's given me a life that's so much fulfilling than I even thought beyond my wildest dreams. And so I'm so thankful. Every time I come here on a Sunday, I think that's why there's no in-between for me because I'm just that thankful. It has to get out somewhere, right? It has to overflow somewhere. And I know that when we lift God high, when we pour out our thanks to him and our worship to him, he does something special in our midst. And so I want to encourage you, be here on Sundays. I give you a challenge the next four weeks, be here. Don't miss a Sunday because I know God is going to do something extra special in our midst. Amen? All right, today we are going to read from the second, uh, sorry, the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's going to come up on the screen very soon. Um, And this is all about King David and how he's just come in as king over Israel. This is like one of the first things that he is doing as a king. So I'm going to read it out um, and then we'll go from there. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom. Some funky names throughout all of this, but just stay with me. Obed-Edom isn't so important. Um, so, because the, the ark was in his house, 
he was being blessed. And so David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Straight off the bat, the ark of the Lord represented the presence of God, right? It was literally this ark, it was kind of like a portable thing, um, but it represented God's presence. And so one of the first things David wanted to do was actually bring that from this dude's house to the city of David. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. That's a lot of bulls and fattened calves. Oh my goodness. Wearing a linen ephod, very on trend. Uh, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Kind of glad we've like gotten rid of trumpets. Um, in church. I think that's just, that would be way too distracting for me. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. She's David's wife, by the way. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was so proud of him and was like, yep, that's my husband. That's why I married him, because he just loves the Lord. Actually, no, she despised him in her heart. And David goes on to give these offerings to God and kind of finish off the ceremony. He blesses the people and then he thinks, I'm going to go home and bless my household. And as he does that, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Woo, she is not happy, right? David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father, by the way, or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Whoa. That's like a bit of a crazy way to finish, right? So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the truth. God, we thank you that your word is life. Thank you that it is liberty to us. God, I pray that as we dive in today, Lord, that you would reveal what you want to reveal. God, we lift your name high and we love you so, so much. Thank you for this time that we get to spend with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So some of you uh, may have heard of a little happenings in my family's household earlier this year where, to cut a long story short, we had to take a restraining order out against a neighbour. Um, and the thing is that, it, I mean, it's all good now, it's, you know, the year's been fine, um, but what happened at the court in this situation really uh, spoke to me. So what we had to do is that we had to go to the court, obviously, to have the restraining order put through. And um, the first time I rocked up, it was Nate and myself. He came with me, kept me company. I really appreciated it. But we literally wasted the whole day waiting for our court case to be called, for it to go through. And then the time came and I walked into the court and literally within a few minutes, it was adjourned. There was nothing that could be done because my neighbour hadn't said that she acknowledged notice of coming into court, right? I left and I think there was just all this emotional energy like pent up. I just burst into tears. I was like, that was such a waste of a day. Nate took, you know, a day off from work and, and everything. It was just so disappointing, right? And so the second time going into it, because of course you've got to come back, you've got to come a second time. 
So we walk into, well, I went by myself this time, actually. We're like, we're not doing that again. So I came in by myself and was waiting for a few hours, not as long this time, which was cool. But the court case was called. I went in and I thought, oh, this neighbor's not going to rock up again. It could be adjourned again. Or maybe my restraining order would just go through really easily and that would be awesome. So I took a seat in front of the judge. And, you know, you've got to do, like, all the, all the respectful things or you bow before the judge. And it was my first time in court, so I was all like, oh, my gosh, I hope I get this right. Like, I feel like she could just say off with her head because I didn't bow or something like that. It's like a really crazy environment. It's so weird. Anyway, um, and so I go do all that stuff, go sit down before the judge, and it was like I was reduced to a little girl. I was just like, like sitting in front of her being like, oh my gosh. And they kind of, um, they're up like a few levels. And so you just feel like this sense of fear and awe of like this judge that's sitting before you. And I, I thought I was going to be alone because I was like, my neighbor's not going to come. So the judge starts the proceedings and then to both of our surprise, my neighbor walks in and I was not prepared for that, right? And I was intimidated sitting before the judge, but that intimidation definitely crept up a notch when my neighbor came and sat, like obviously they sit on the other end, um, and I, my heart started to race. I was like, oh my gosh, pull yourself together back, like this is crazy. Now I knew nothing could happen, right? This woman couldn't come and like, beat me up or throw something at me or whatever, like she'd be thrown out. There was a bailiff there, I knew I was protected, I knew I was fine, but the thing was that there was just that intimidation there, right? And so this judge began the proceedings and throughout um, this time, it's like she could tell very quickly who was at fault, who was actually telling the truth, because my dear neighbor tried to put a restraining order on me as well. So I think it was just like a bit of tit for tat. Um, but. It was really funny, but I loved that the judge could tell pretty much within two minutes of both of us speaking, her asking some questions, that she knew, right, she knew exactly what was going on, right? And so when I walked out of that place that day, there was this weird, overwhelming sense of that judge could see me. That judge could see exactly what was going on. That judge could see my intentions, even though they're in my heart and weren't on display. She could see my motivations. She could see uh, the love that I had for my neighbor. She could see the sin in my heart. She could see everything. And she presided over this courtroom with such authority that when I walked in, I was scared of her. But actually, having sat in her presence throughout the proceedings, I left with this sense of confidence that actually this judge was really for me. She knew exactly what was going on and she was for me. And it just, it lifted my spirits, it lifted my posture. I was really confident of the outcome and just the fact that this was actually all gonna be okay. And it, and it has actually been okay this whole year. It's been amazing. But I tell you that story because what happens to David in this passage of scripture, he actually has a very similar experience. Let's take a look at the background as to what's going on. So verse 13, and when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord by its poles had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with great enthusiasm. And David was wearing a linen ephod a priest's upper garment. Sorry, I think I have a different translation on my laptop to that, but it's saying basically the same thing. But what's happening here is that 
this is actually a really momentous occasion in the history and the life of Israel. So as I mentioned, David had recently become king. He was just king over all of Judah for seven and a half years, and now he'd been made king of Israel. And so for the first time in a long time, this kingdom was united. And the first thing that David sets in order is worship. How are we going to worship the Lord? It was that important to David. And even in him bringing the ark and not leaving it where it was and kind of bringing proceedings there or setting up the place of worship there, he specifically wanted it to come to the city of David because that was a significant place for the people of Israel. That's the place where Abraham uh, gave an offering and God brought the sacrifice for that. That was the place where um, Abraham gave offerings to the king priest Melchizedek. And that was the same place that Jesus was to be born in the city of David, right? It is a huge, special, significant place. So there's something crazy going on here. And what's even more significant is that there are people carrying the Ark of the Lord. But the thing is, is that these people, we know who they are. They are the Levites. They're the people that are mentioned in the Old Testament scriptures time and time again, because they were the OG. They were the original priests and the people that God had actually commissioned to be the people who conducted the worship practices for Israel. But they're left unnamed here, almost to say, this is what scholars have said, they were left unnamed uh, consciously, on purpose, because God wanted to say, we're actually doing away with that, and there is a new way of worship that's coming to town. A worship that is humble, like what David was doing. A worship that is extravagant. A worship that requires our whole heart and whole devotion. That was the new thing that God was ushering in. Because the thing is with the Levites, and we know that David goes on to not be so perfect himself, and, and that's okay. He humbles himself, and he's a man after God's own heart. But the sad thing about the Levites is that they would time and time again devalue the presence of God. There was a particular priest called Eli, and he would have these sons that would come and minister in the temple. But the thing is, is that they would uh, do sinful acts in the temple, and by that they would degrade what was going on. They would rubbish what is going on. They'd be, you know, sleeping with women in the Holy of Holies. They'd be doing all of this stuff that is an absolute no-no. We don't have to understand the culture back then to know that that's a no-no, right? That's not something that they were meant to do, allowed to do in the presence of God. And they would tarnish it, they would rubbish God's presence. And so God was saying, actually, I'm going to leave them unnamed. Actually, they're going to be a side, they're, they're going to be a sub-note uh, for this new thing that I'm going to do because I want a different heart. I want a heart that is humble. And we see that in David's decision to actually take off his kingly garments. Instead of being king in that moment, which he had every right to do, to be, he chose to take off his kingly garments and put on this linen ephod, which is what the priests would wear. And in doing that, he was humbling himself. Because priests were esteemed in that society. They were held to a level of respect and, and significance. But the king is the king, right? There is no one like the king. There is no one who is um, as significant, as important as the king. But David chose to actually take that significance off in place for this priestly garment. And so God's doing a new thing here. He's wanting worship that is childlike. He's wanting worship that comes from a humble heart. He's wanting worship that is purely devoted to him and requires the whole heart of the people. Let's pick it up from verse 16. 
Then as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, David's wife, looked down from the window above and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she felt contempt for him in her heart because she thought him undignified. So crazy what's going on, right? David is going all out in saying, Israel, this is how we worship. New kingdom, this is how we do, right? God is worthy of extravagance. God is worthy of our whole hearts, our fullest expression of worship. And then he comes home only to find his wife on the opposite end of the spectrum. She's like, how could you? You are the king. How could you do such a ridiculous act? An act that, how are people going to respect you now? Right? She is going on and on about this. And she, this word contempt that is used here, it's actually similar to the word raka that we see in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus refers to. And Jesus says, if you say this word, which essentially means foolish, empty, empty-headed, vain, um, worthless, if you call a brother or sister or anyone that word, you will be liable to the fires of hell. This is a loaded word. This is absolutely on the no-no list. And yet Michael is saying, David, you are foolish. You've been such a fool. And why was Michael, you know, going on about this? Why couldn't she see? Why wasn't she on the same page as David? Well, the scripture gives us a hint. You know, as I was reading this over and over again, I was like, God, why... Why is it that she's always referred to as the daughter of Saul rather than David's wife? The Amplified version that I'm reading out, they've inserted David's wife just to kind of help us out. But in the NIV version, it's always Michael, daughter of Saul. And in that is the clue. You see, her father, Saul, used to be the king of Israel, except he was super insecure about it. From the day that the Lord chose him, and it was this huge deal. Like, it wasn't like... A little still small voice that, you know, I think maybe you're the chosen one by God to rule and reign over Israel. No, it was like this huge deal. He should have been confident. He should have been self-assured. He should have been completely secure in the fact that God had called him. But from the day that he began, he was hiding uh, during his coronation service, like super insecure, right? up until the day that he was dethroned. And the thing is, is that he had gotten to this point where he was so crazy, so insecure about somebody else taking the authority, somebody else taking the leadership, that when David was said to be the next king, he threatened David's life and he chased after him. He got his armies to go and seek out where David was, basically to end David. That's how ridiculously insecure he had become. And the sad thing is that Michael, not like King David, doesn't see God as king, but she has put herself under a different kind of king. She's still operating under King Saul's insecurity. And so she's bringing that attack against David. And so as I was thinking about this, isn't it interesting that David is being extravagant in his worship. He's saying, actually, this is the bar. Nothing less is actually appropriate when the presence of God comes in, right? He's saying, no, this is the standard. And yet he goes home and it's almost like there's an attack on that standard by his very own wife. And her grumble, her whispers in his ear is, you should be worrying about how people see you. You should be worrying about the fact that people are no longer going to respect you because you've been prancing around like this foolish person. And that's 
And as I was thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, that is actually the thing that can steal our worship. When our self-importance is on the throne, when the way that people perceive us is on the throne before God, that steals the wonder and the childlike worship, the extravagant worship that God wants us to bring to Him. When we have anything else on the throne of our heart, church, it takes the place of the God who alone is meant to be on that throne. Hello. Who alone is king, right? So I was thinking about this, what a threat this can be. And sometimes we come into church on a Sunday. Out there, we might be someone super important. Out there, we might have to have, you know, it all together. We might have to have a level of respect for ourselves so that people can respect us. Maybe we lead in our workplaces, maybe we lead in our homes, maybe we lead out in the community. But the thing is, church, when we come in here, this is a level playing field. This is not a place where we have to care about airs, where we have to care about crowns, where we have to care about how people perceive us. This is a place of extravagant worship. This is a place where only God is seated on the throne. This is the place where only God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This can be a safe place, church. I believe that God wants churches right across our world to be safe places, to be sanctuaries where people don't have to care about how they're perceived out there because in here they understand that it's just God. It's the audience of one. He is the one that we are living for. You know, I love how David responds to Michael. He doesn't say, oh, you know, right, I should, I should listen to my wife who is wise and she's giving me this feedback and, and I think there's some truth to it. No, <laughs> there is no truth to it. And he goes on to say, it was before the Lord that I did this, who chose me above your father and all his house to appoint me as ruler over Israel, the people of the Lord. Therefore, I will celebrate in pure enjoyment before the Lord. You see, David wasn't insecure like Michael about his authority and his power. He didn't take after King Saul. That's not something that he wanted to follow suit in. But his confidence came from the Lord. He recognized that it was God and God alone that chose him to rule and reign, to put him in that position. And in fact, David has this attitude of, God put me on the throne. He can dethrone me at any moment. I don't care. My, my life is in the good Lord's hands. That's where David's confidence came from. And that's why he could celebrate. That's why he could take off his kingly garments and go all out and be extravagant and be childlike before God because it wasn't on him to keep up this appearance, to keep this mask on, to you know, keep it all together so that people would respect him. He knew that any respect that people would give him was a gift from the Lord, right? He knew that he was there because of God. There was no other reason. And church, this is the confidence that we can take. Wherever God has called you, because he's chosen every single one of us. The Bible talks about that he's chosen us as his royal priesthood. We go and we represent him out in our jobs, out in our workplaces, in our community, amongst our families. And that's not something that we have to be insecure about or try to maintain a certain level of, I need to be respectable, I need to be perfect in order for God to be seen in my life. But no, if we just recognize that we are chosen by God to be out there, wherever he has called us, then that comes with a level of confidence. 
And this is where worship comes in. Every single Sunday, there is an opportunity to have our confidence restored. You know, when I think about this childlike expression of worship that David has before God, I think about how children often posture themselves when a parent's in the room, like this, right? They want to reach out for mum or dad. They want to be held. And in that hold, in that embrace from a parent, the child is affirmed in their identity. Their confidence is restored. I know this. My son is adopted. We have some uh, challenges that come with that. But I know that every single time that mum or dad gives him an embrace, it is affirming, you are my son. You belong here. You have been chosen. This family has been put together by God and God alone. He's the one that's orchestrated it all. And my little Sam's identity is affirmed. You are my son. You belong here. And that's the beauty of worship, right? When we lift our hands to God, he affirms us. I really enjoy silly little things like body language and body hacks and stuff like that, so go with me on this. But I did a little bit of research and I came across this um, body language expert, she's called. Her name's Amy Cuddy, so if you like any of that, YouTube her, she's brilliant. But she talks about how studies have shown that when we posture ourselves in a position of confidence, that even when we're not confident, even when we actually feel like this on the inside, that if we do this, we actually gain this level of confidence. And I love that God has hardwired us, and the Bible tells us time and time again, to lift our hands in worship, because he has hardwired us to receive confidence, to receive affirmation, to be reminded of who we are as his sons and daughters. And that's why, church, it's important to not stand like this in worship, or to stand like this in worship, or to be like this in worship. But doing this opens up an opportunity for you. The thing is, is that I love that David was extravagant in worship to God because he had this heart of, God, you're worth this and more. But the thing is, our great, beautiful, loving, heavenly father is like, yes, I am actually worth all of that and more. But the thing is, is that he commands us to lift our hands in worship and to give it all to him because he wants to give to us. Because he actually wants to pour out love and adoration and confidence and affirmation over us as his sons and daughters. That even if we walk through those doors on a Sunday insecure because we're unsure. God, have you really chosen me? God, have you really called me to this? This week has been shocking and just stupid. I don't know whether you want me here anymore. I have so many questions and so many doubts. As soon as we come in, as soon as we embrace the posture of son and daughter in worship church, we are affirmed. God says, you are my son, you are my daughter. I have chosen you. I have called you. I love you. God loves to meet with us in worship, church. He loves to have that time of intimate connection with his sons and daughters. That's why I love worship. That's what I love about it. I felt like God wanted me to bring this encouragement as the foundation of this whole series, as the foundation of what we do here at Lift when it comes to our worship times because actually it's all about casting our crowns off before God saying, God, I am small. There's this definition of childlike worship, right? It's understanding my smallness in the light of my big God. And every Sunday we have this opportunity to say, God, I am small before you. Like I was small in front of that judge. 
Going in, I was fearful and intimidated, and some of us enter the doors of church feeling that way. God, do you really want me today? God, do you really want to see me? Do you really want to know me? Do you really want to spend time with me? And God's saying, yes, hurry up, lift your hands, express your worship to me because there I will meet you. There I will love you and shower my affirmation on you. If I can get the band up to help me because we are going to respond. We are going to have a time of worship to God. And so church, from the very beginning of this glory series, this is what it's all about. It's coming in, it's saying, God, I understand that I'm small before you. I understand my place before you. I'm not the king of my heart. I don't have my life in the palm of my hands. I don't have everything in control, nor do I need to be insecure about that. Nor do I have to try grip on to any authority or any calling or any purpose that you've given me because, God, you've given it freely. You have chosen me. And in your choosing of me, God, I take great comfort. I take great security. I take great confidence. And this morning, church, if I can just put an invitation out there, if you have yet to invite the King of Kings into your heart, Maybe you're still king on the throne of your heart. Maybe you've been doing the church thing for a while, but you know you haven't made that decision to make Jesus the king of your heart. Then this morning, I would love to pray for you. If we could have every head bowed, every eye closed. And if this is you, why don't you just say this prayer in your heart? Because ultimately, this confession of faith, it's between you and the Lord. Thank you, God. Father, we thank you for your presence. God, I thank you that you are here. God, I thank you that you have chosen us for a purpose. And so, God, today I place my life into your hands. I know I have been king or queen on the throne of my heart. But God, today I lay down my crowns. And God, I ask you to be king of my heart. You alone are on the throne of my life. And God, I thank you that I'm your son, I'm your daughter today. Thank you for accepting me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for affirming my identity. I resist the fear of everything I have to do, of the roles that I play. And God, I recognize today that I am chosen by you. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.